Welcome to Progress Notes, where we take note of patient progress. This is your host, Mithabrakar, current student at North Canyon High School. I'm on a journey to turn the doctor-patient relationship into a patient-doctor relationship by discovering just what we can learn from patient narratives. This interview was recorded over Zoom as per COVID-19 precautions. Today we'll be sitting down with the patient to discuss what it's like to be diagnosed with cancer during a pandemic. Well, I guess we can start with, uh, you know, being diagnosed in a time of the coronavirus that that has been an, you know, I mean, it's a devastating diagnosis regardless, but to get it in a time where everything's so fluid, it just makes it that much more difficult. I was diagnosed with um, metastatic breast cancer um, that, that spread to the bone and to the peritoneum. And this happened in April. Um, up till that point, I was pretty fine. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, I, being a woman, you know, I did what I needed to do. I did my, my yearly mammogram. I just had that done in November. I have no family history of breast cancer. So it's not even something that would even have been in the forefront of my thought processes. I am also a nurse. so. Um, that makes me, I think, more in tune to different things. I don't know if that's the correct way to put it, but um, I was uh, doing what I needed to do for me. And up until April, I started having some abdominal pains. And um, being a nurse, I already self-diagnosed myself with either being like having an impaction or a couple of years prior, I had gastric bypass surgery, which I lost 100 pounds. And of course, I, I go to, well, what could be happening in my abdomen related to that? You know, so I'm doing my own self-diagnosis, which is what nurses do, <laughs> like a good nurse, <laughs> and avoiding going to the ER or the doctor for like a week, you know, because I think, well, it's this, I'll do this, I'll take this, you know, I'll take a stool softener, I'll do this, you know. Finally, I think that Sunday... Um, I woke up and the abdominal pain was pretty bad. And that was, I was feeling it up in my shoulder. And being a nurse, I, I automatically think, oh, well, this might, what if it's a heart attack? You know, here I am sitting and thinking it's a stomach pain and what if it's that? So I better go to the ER and see, you know, just to be safe, just to be safe. I didn't think it was, but just in case. And so I went to the ER. And um, they did whatever scan they did. And no, I, I 100% thought they would come back saying, well, you know, you have an infection, like a stool infection. You're just, you know, full of it, basically. I was just waiting for that so I could be made fun of by my family. It'd been great. And um, the doctor came in, or the nurse, practice. see, I don't even remember at this point. All I know is they came in and said, the findings are consistent with cancer and we're going to admit you. And at that point, I was like, wait, what can we back up like two seconds because I'm, I'm pretty sure you have the wrong patient <laughs> because I'm not here for that <laughs> I'm not and keep in mind I am in the ER totally alone completely totally alone because I you can bring a family member in because it's COVID so I'm I'm the the person came in and said I had cancer and said I'd be admitted and they left and I was alone alone with my thoughts alone thinking about everything you know what does this mean they you know what what about my son i i can't be you know all the things that go through your head and i remember the nurse coming back in <laughs> and um <laughs> and i started crying and she said oh are you okay i said no they just came in and said i had cancer 
And she said, I'll give you a few, uh, I'm sorry. And like kind of tapped me and walked out. I don't even think she knew <laughs> how to react to that. <laughs> and then she kind of stepped away and I'm like, okay, all right. So this is happening. So after that, it was just kind of blank. I remember texting a friend of mine, you know, and letting her know what was going on. I remember being afraid to tell my husband who was at home waiting for me to call him to come pick me up, not to call him to tell him I had cancer or that they thought I had cancer. Because of course, at that point, I'm like, well, they must have made a mistake, you know. And from then on, I was in the hospital for like two days, three days, I think, where they did some other tests and stuff. And at that point, the oncologist came in and let me know, yeah, he was 100% sure. He really didn't even need the test at that point. And I was like, well, let's just see, you know. <laughs> but, you know, knowing what I know now, looking back on, well, that's dumb. This person sees us every day. Of course, he knows what he's looking at. <laughs> but uh, from that, that point, you know, it just went into, well, what do I need to do now? Where do we need to go from here? And I think that's, that's where we've been, you know. And then I went to the the doctor's office and they had me do a have a port placement and then they did another mammogram and a biopsy to like try to grow the cells and and the doctor was very positive that you know this is treatable I mean it's something I'm going to live with the rest of my life but hopefully it can get me to a point where I have a few years of life (laughs) rather than you know I mean if I was diagnosed with this diagnosis even 10 years ago it could have been a, a complete death sentence for me the worst part of the whole thing, I think, was the whole diagnostic portion of my life, you know, but now that we're in the treatment, it's different. You know, I know what I'm doing. I, we, we're doing this. You take your medicine, you do this, and, and you wait for blood work, and you see the changes, and you just hope that you're doing all this, and it's going to have an effect that, that I can at least see my son graduate from high school. So I can honestly say that the oncologist's office they're, they were always been very positive and very forthcoming. It was almost too positive. I was kind of leery because <laughs> I only saw the end of things. I never saw the beginning of things, especially c- coming from my background. I mean, I work in healthcare. I worked um, for 16 years. I worked hospice. <laughs> it, it's, it's different when, when my brain, my brain can go from medical to non-medical really quick. <laughs> like, I know stuff. Oh, wait, no, I don't know stuff. It's, it's your brain, I think, can block things out. But I mean, that's for the most part where I'm at. I got to lose all my hair. And my hair is one thing I was actually like kind of always known for because it's always thick and long. And, and now it's gone. I'm completely bald. It's, as a woman, that's like something I de- identified with. That's just kind of weird. I guess on the bright side, they haven't said they're going to take my girls away yet that's another thing that I've always identified myself with but at this point I would rather them take it if it meant I can be okay but yeah that's that's about you know that's about my story I'm just that's where I'm at so you mentioned that you've been a nurse for 16 years do you think being a nurse gives you a different perspective on cancer and being treated from what people usually think of it I think that definitely changes a perspective um I've been the part of the end of people's lives. I, I've, I've been with many a person as they took their last breaths. And um, I've been with many families as they, they watch their loved ones die, you know. Also, uh, it gives me a perspective that I, half of me somewhere deep inside when my brain starts working after I hear things, I know 
kind of the medical part of it. It's harder for me to believe all, all the good stuff all the time because I saw the bad stuff. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, yeah, I know it's not okay, but it, it we'll go with that. <laughs> so you also said that you were diagnosed during COVID, which is an experience in itself, especially with everything going on right now. So what was it actually mm-hmm. like being diagnosed and being treated during a pandemic? Scary. It was very scary. And I think mostly because anyone that works in healthcare, they know that they come from, I, my husband lovingly calls it the medical mafia, where, where normally when a family member is in a place or they're in the hospital or whatever, no, there is someone with you at all times. There is someone there. I mean, my sister's a nurse. My mom was a nurse. My other sister's a nurse someone would be with you. Like when I normally, like if this happened, what, like two years ago, I wouldn't have been in the ER by myself. My sister would have been there. And rather than me sit there and want to come up with the question, because you're, I'm going to tell you right now, your brain shuts off. It just shuts off. You, your, your brain stops listening as soon as they see, say the C word. And, and that's where a family member would come in saying, okay, so what did, what's the next step? What do we need to do now? what you know they're the ones that come in with the questions they're the ones to do all the the hold your hand they're the ones to hug you when you're 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 sobbing uncontrollably and you you have no one you are alone you are completely alone because look god love the healthcare professionals i'm not I, i i realize myself you're not their only person they're they're taking care of like in the ER. there's like what like 10 10 15 20 other people some that are breathing, some are coding, some are, you know, there's a lot more worse stuff going on than my, my thing, which is my everything at that moment. And, and I know they're not going to take the time to be my friend <laughs> or my loved one, you know? And I think that's the worst part. The whole time I'm in the hospital, normally I, my sister would be there sleeping in the cot next to me, you know, and no, I had no one. I could FaceTime them. I mean, at least we have that technology right now. And I would like mm-hmm. FaceTime them and set them up on the little table. I mean, I even when I went to the like my second oncology appointment, I brought my husband by phone. I set him up on or when I went to my first one, I brought my friend in on the FaceTime because she's an RN. And, and like I said, she's the one who actually came up with all the questions that my brain shut off. You know, what is the next step? What was the game plan? What's the care plan? You know, and where I'm just going like, oh, God, am I going to die? <laughs> You need that, that family, that support. And I think that was the worst part of this whole thing. You, it's, you never feel as lone as when you get news like that. And you, there's, no, there's no one. There's no one. Yeah. How did your family react when they found out? Um, to me, they all were very, very supportive. They're all proactive. You know, what, did you ask this? Are we going to do this? Are they going to do that? You know, that, who are you seeing? What are you seeing? Oh, good. You're seeing this person. You know, are back and forth and my husband was very strong I'm sure he has moments where he's not I'm sure he but he's very he's done very well at hiding those from me I don't see that which I'm thankful for um really (laughs) I know that's weird but um my son is I think confused a little bit you know he's just trying to figure it out I'm trying to be upfront and honest with him most of the time you know so he's not surprised, but I just think it's a lot for him to take in. 
especially being 14 and himself living through a year of pandemic. <laughs> it's not like he can go to a friend's house and then wine and then vent, you know? So he's mm-hmm. stuck with us. Earlier you mentioned that it was hard to block out the negatives of the situation because you were so used to seeing the negatives. Was there anything that helped you to have kind of a positive mindset throughout this? I think the most that helped me is, oh my God, the reign of support, not only from my family, but from people I work with, people from my church. I, I, I never felt so loved and lifted than I have. I, it's, it's, it's so humbling. Oh my God. It is so humbling. Um, for the first like two weeks of treatment, dinner would be delivered to my house. I don't even know who's delivering it. You know, it was like DoorDash, ding and ring and they leave and there's no name on it. So it's like dinner fairies would be bringing supper, you know, um, people, uh, gift cards. I was getting gift cards in the mail. So, I mean, they were all focused on like keeping my family eating, you know, cause I'm the mom. I'm <laughs> but, um, just, it, it is, it, I can't even say how humbling it is. The, the, the reign of support that I've gotten from people I haven't even talked to in years, you know, they're like, Oh, well, we'll be there. You know, here's this, or let me do this for you. Or it, it just really, I mean, going from a, a, a state of just feeling so alone, like I was saying before to a state of there's no way I'm going to fall because there's so many arms holding me up. And, and that itself is just an amazing experience. I don't think I can ever get over that experience. I mean, that's just something that's, it's so humbling. <laughs> so humbling. <laughs> How important do you think hope and support is in a cancer patient's life? And do you think it affects the outcome of the treatment? Absolutely. You got to have something to hope for. If you don't, why try? You know, I mean, that's just, it, it's a huge part, a huge part. Um, I, I'm not like a very religious person, but I do believe in the power of prayer, the power of positive thoughts. And I, and I, and I so believe that the more people that you have out there that are praying for you or thinking about you or, or rooting for you, I think it's like some cosmic force that it, it just, it's so important. Because if you don't have that, you don't have, you don't have the will to try. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's huge, huge. Has your diagnosis changed your perspective on life at all? It, it's made me try not to take everything so seriously all the time. Um, because why? I mean, I've been working on that anyway since before this. You know, there's, and, and you got to realize, again, my husband's taught me, he's all you need to think about it. Is it. Does it matter? Will it matter in 10 minutes? Will it matter in like two hours? Will it matter in a week? And And if the answer is like, no, why are you getting so upset over this? You know, stop. There's no point. Um, it's helped me just to realize to try to make the most of each moment. You know, I've always been that kind of person. I think a little bit. I, I've always been a strong believer in that the only way to live forever is to make memories. So I've spent like most of my life, like especially with my son, because I know, you know, at some, and this is before the cancer diagnosis. I know life happens. You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. Tomorrow's never guaranteed, but you're here now. And if I can make those memories with him, he will always remember things, you know, always remember, Oh, you remember that one time we did this or that we went here or did this. 
which the COVID is kind of cramping my style right now with all this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that's, life is never guaranteed. You know, I mean, yeah, I might have this diagnosis, but that doesn't mean I won't get hit by a bus the next time I go out to the grocery store. It's just, you gotta have each moment mean something. With your son being so young, do you think he grew it all from this? Oh, I think he's doing a hell of a lot of growing right now. <laughs> I mean, between this, I know he's worried about me. Um, he's really taken on the role of trying to take care of me. I catch him at night tucking me in or kissing me on my head. You know, things that he wouldn't have done necessarily before all this. He'll go and, like, he'll try to make dinner or he'll try to do things. I mean, granted, he'll leave a mess everywhere because he's not perfect. But he's trying, you know, in that aspect. Um, the poor kid, I mean, between this and just everything that's going on, I mean, he's whole, I think he's definitely growing. <laughs> what was your relationship with your doctor like throughout this process? Um, it's not so much a relationship as a, he's like the CEO of the health that care I'm receiving, if that makes sense. Um, I don't really see the doctor that much, maybe once a month. I know he's in the wings if something comes up, you know, I know that definitely can be contacted and things can be attempted, but, um, so yeah, basically I look at him more as like the CEO of my, um, my, my care plan right now. My goal is to go in there and have him say, yep, you're doing fine. Keep this going. I mean, that's, and that's basically all it, it is right now. You know, I don't know if it's really a relationship. I think you, I mean, you, you know, you doctor, but I don't know if you really get to, have that type of relationship. I, I, I interact more with like the nurse team and stuff aspect of the whole healthcare plan than I do with the physician part of it. So um, I like knowing that I have the person there that knows what they need to do to make things happen. So it, it's like a fail safe. I know he's there. <laughs> so that's, that's basically it. Would you rather see your doctor more often during your treatment or do you feel comfortable interacting with the nurses more often? Um, I think I feel more comfortable interacting with the nurses more often because for me, I guess if you're seeing the doctor more often, that means you're having more issues. The less you have to see the doctor, the less you're having issues. <laughs> so I think it's a better sign if you're not having to see the doctor more. Was there anything that was important for your healthcare team to know about you personally throughout this? Um, I don't know. I mean, I would like to say, yeah, I would like them to know that how important I am to my family, you know, and how important I am. But, you know, they see so many patients and all them patients are, are all equally as important to their family members. My thing is I, I just, when you're on the end of having to hear things, you don't necessarily know everything, you know, and with me, I can get high anxiety really easy. I do have high anxiety anyways. <laughs> I have control issues, <laughs> so I like to be in control of the situation, and when I can't, that stresses me out, and right now, I'm in a situation where I have zero control, <laughs> zero control. Um, most healthcare professionals do show, like, a little patience, but yeah, it's hard for me to look at, is there anything personal or whatever for them to know about me, because, like, I... I, maybe it's because I work in healthcare. I know that I'm not their only person that they're dealing with. It's, I mean, I like them to take the moment to act like I'm the most important person to them. 
they don't have to mean it, but if they can at least take that moment to act like, you know what, you're here, you're what we're focusing on at this moment, that means the world to me. Because I've been in situations where they're, they just, someone's pushed you like, yeah, yeah, we'll be with you in a second. When you're like sitting here going, no, this is literally life and death for me. Even though I'm sure everyone in the room is life and death for them too. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to like balance that wanting to be selfish and wanting to realize that you're not the only person with issues. So I don't know if I would push that on them wanting to know personal things about me. They have their own things. If they can be in the moment, the moment I'm there, that's all that matters. Because they're all human beings too. They all have family members that they might be arguing with that day. They might have their car broken down. They may have, you know, things going on. But if they're, they're at work and they realize that they need to be in the moment, that's what matters most. Just be in the moment with that person at that time. What gives you comfort when you feel like you have no control in these situations? I guess what gives me comfort is, I think it's the, the support I have around me. I can fall apart and that I've, well, I have fallen apart and I always have, there's people around me that just keep picking me up, picking up the pieces. And I think that's, that gives me the most comfort. I don't know what I would do without the support I've had. I, I, on the medical side, to know that, I mean, I'm working with people that know what they're doing. I feel comfort in knowing that they're, they're up to date on their treatments, you know, what, what needs to be done now. I just found out recently that uh, another um, dear friend of our family, who we consider basically family, when she went through her cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment, She's actually had the same physician and, you know, knowing that she's doing absolutely fine right now, that's huge. I mean, her, her diagnosis and treatment was different than mine because everyone's their own, but that was huge. The fact that um, my PCP, when he, he was excited, he was happy. I just saw him like a week ago and he hadn't seen me since the diagnosis. Um, He was happy that I had the team that I had, he's, he couldn't, he's like, I wouldn't have, I would have referred you to this person anyways. So, I mean, hearing that makes you think, well, you know, maybe I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good where I am. I'm with people I need to be with. I'm with a, you know, I should be fine. That that's kind of comforting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you wish you could change from your illness journey? I think if I could change anything from this journey, um, I mean, if I could have anything I can do, I would have loved to have been able not to work, you know, and to be able to um, experience this without the stress of, oh, God, there's still bills to pay, <laughs> you know, um, that's, that's huge. And it's still huge on my mind because um, I've, I've been working still full time since the diagnosis. Um, I am so lucky I work with the, the people I work with right now. Um, I work in occupational health, so they've been uh, very supportive of me, um, knowing that I'll miss a day. I've been missing days, of course. I'll have days that were better than others. Um, <clears throat> but they've always been very supportive of me. Um, the doctor I work for just, just went to bat and got me to be able to work from home most of the time. Um, especially with the COVID and stuff. I think that's the main reason they really didn't want me around (laughs) because they know my immune system isn't 
that great. And here I am going into a hospital every day where, you know, they were concerned. And so they got it. So I'm working from home right now. I want to say about 95% of the time. I still have to go in on occasion to cover the person I work with. <clears throat> so I, I am totally blessed with that. I'm that I'm in the position I'm in to get this. Cause if I would have been working the floor or something, I wouldn't be working right now and, and, and things would be a lot harder for my family. So I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, if I could change anything, it would be the, be, have the ability to <clears throat> just dive head first in the sick leave, you know, <laughs> and have that moment to just not worry about things, but that doesn't happen. Welcome to adulthood. You still have to do that. <laughs> How has it been working as a healthcare worker in a pandemic? It was more scary in the beginning, I think, when there was a lot more. Um, I mean, there's still a ton of unknowns. The more you know, I think it's better. Like, you know, before they were like, yeah, well, the masks probably are not going to help. And now they're like, oh, wait, no, they actually do help. Where you at? If everyone wore a mask, we would be fine, you know. Um, things like that, getting to know more about the disease, I think, makes it easier. When it first happened, everyone who would sneeze, everyone thought had COVID, you know, everyone who had even the slightest, we had, it was almost like, I guess, like people would turn in their people they work with. So-and-so has been coughing this whole time. I was like, oh my God, it's allergy season. <laughs> we don't, but meanwhile, nobody knew. So they would get sent home. You'd be home for like 14 days, you know, because they, they weren't going to risk it. You're going to get out, you know, and, uh, and then, Anytime someone would come up, because that was my main concern. I mean, working where I worked, they made it almost immediately where they weren't going to see sick people up in occupational health. That was a huge move, which was good. If they, you know, they shouldn't be in the hospital if, as an employee sick. It just, yeah, in that aspect, knowing that you got people that you work with working in employee health, I have friends that actually ended up being diagnosed with it, you know, and it's scary, you know where you, you know, somebody more than likely you're going to lose a healthcare worker. Someone's going to die. And that, that's just something to think about. <laughs> After reflecting on this experience, what is some advice that you think everyone in the world would benefit from hearing? I, well, I, it sounds corny, but I guess it's just, you know, love each other. Stop being so mean to you, everyone. You know, I mean, everyone needs to just Life is short. Why why be cruel to people? Nothing's worth getting all like foamy at the mouth angry at. You know, just be kind to one another. You know, that's, I think that's the biggest thing I've got. Because you know what, you, you just gotta love each other. Everyone needs to love each other. Tomorrow's never guaranteed. Thank you all so much for listening. I want to express my sincere gratitude to this patient for sharing their story with me and allowing me to pass it on to my listeners. Also, shout out to Palo Verde Cancer Specialists for introducing us. Thanks to my producer, Manith Rakar, for helping me turn my idea into a reality. Special thanks to Tape Machines for the music. Join us again next time for a new patient update.